Hey, Warwick. Hey, Nicole. I've come in really late and picked up the the joke book and found a cracker straight off the mark. Are you ready? Is that the joke? No. Oh. After you die, what's the last part of your body that stops working? Oh, I've heard this from my 11-year-old daughter and I can't remember it. I love it. Your pupils, they dilate. (sighs) Welcome to the Tradies and Business Podcast with your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Divert your phone and grab a brew as Waz and Nick unpack tips, tales, secrets and stuff-ups from guests both inside and outside your trade. Helping educate and inspire you to break the cycle of gut-busting and money stress and create a true trade business. And welcome back to the podcast, listeners. Haven't you been missing Nicole's fabulous jokes? I have. I feel like I should have brought a lot to conference and I didn't think about it. No, and I'm really, maybe that's why we got such good scores for our <laughs> feedback was there were no mum jokes, no podcast jokes at conference. Fair call. Fair call. I won't argue that. We have just come back from our annual Tradiepreneur conference, listeners. Uh, it was a cracking three days, really, two and a half days. There was tears, there was laughter, there were brain grenades and light bulbs going off. We had some fabulous speakers. And if you weren't there, it sucks to be you because it was blooming <laughs> awesome. <laughs> For those that were there, they learned a heck of a lot and we had some great speakers. Um, and uh, we we realized that a lot of the power of what we bring to the table here at Tradies in Business is our guests. And so we have another guest interview today. There you go, Nick. I made another segue. It was a great segue too. I just made it. Anyway, um, so we have a guest today and... Part of business is dealing with the boring stuff, the dry topics, the things that we probably avoid because like, I'm not really interested in finance. I'm not really interested in SEO or any of the techie stuff, the boring stuff, the businessy stuff, the legal stuff. And they're really important aspects of running a trade business. So we do bring you guests to talk about the really important but sometimes potentially boring stuff. (laughs) And I hope I'm not um, digging a hole for our guest today, Um, but I'm sure he can dig his way out of it based on the story about his his AirPod, which we probably should share now that we've we've outed him. Rami Farmi from Enshore, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for having me. Really, (laughs) It's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Now, I have really set an awful scene here. Everyone's thinking, great, what boring stuff are they going to be covering today? But we're talking about, well, we're talking about not losing everything that you've worked your tail off for, not getting taken to the cleaners by people. Like this is, this can be scary stuff, more so than boring stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, Heartbreaking to see people just not be able to protect themselves um, and protect all the things that they've created. Um, it's so easy to do, right? Like, mm. just be so painful. Mm. Like my earpods that I dropped in my long black coffee. Just... <laughs> can you get insurance for that? Yeah, yeah. Look, you can get insurance for everything, right? At the right <laughs> access and at the right premium, everything's insurable. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just one of those things. It was a crazy morning, and I was just trying to rush and do things. And as I was moving my coffee from the right hand side of my laptop to the left, it like 
fell <laughs> perfectly Tonk. and floated. And um, and I just uh, anyway, it was uh, funny. It was gonna, I'm like, it wasn't gonna ruin my day. That's for sure. Murphy's Law, <laughs> mate. So we are we are going to talk a bit about. Well, it. I, I think that we're going to ask you some questions about risk more so than insurance. Um, and although in the industry and I, and I in a past life was a life insurance broker. Uh, and so insurance is actually referred to as, as risk. You know, the industry is, is the risk industry because it's all about protecting ourselves from risk. You know, it could be the risk of getting hit by a car or the risk of having a health event that stops us from earning an income or the risk of someone knocking off our tool trailer. They're all risks and insurance really is about, providing us with some sort of buffer against that risk. Um, but I like how, Rami, you've talked uh, in previous conversations we've had with you about just the concept of risk and, and what's involved with that um, more so than insurance. How did you get to be in this industry, mate? I mean, did you did you wake up as a six-year-old boy one day and go, I want to get into risk insurance and, you know, finance and stuff? Or do you have a bit of a backstory, mate? Yeah, no, I do. I do. And um, it's one of those industries, and I hate hearing the, hearing this comment um, about people falling into insurance. It's mm. like, it's, it's so true in some ways because there's not really a, a course or a, you know, a thing you study to go and become an insurance broker per se. Um, and, you know, I genuinely did fall into it. Like my dad was a broker and um, he was a life insurance broker to start with. And then he, um, the, the clients he had helped um, expressed a need because they didn't really understand general because they were only, um, you know, dominantly Arabic speaking. And so he could try to bridge that gap for them. And then that's when he moved over into general. So as far as I can remember, um, I was joined, like I would, my dad would take me because my dad would like, you know, take me to other places and I'd, I'd be going to fire claims and theft claims and I'd be walking in and you'd see the carnage and uh, you'd see the client in distress and um, I'd see what my dad used to do, right? And, um, you know, he'd be there multiple times. He'd help them, you know, contain their loss document their loss, calculate their loss, present it to the insurers, get them paid, go out and take a check. Mm. And it's weird because, you know, I kind of am very much prepared for the crisis. Like I have no um, fear. Like when I get certain calls on my bat phone from, you know, my key clients, you know, I, I, it could be that they've lost a, a $10 million building. It could be that they've suffered a flood or whatever it is. And I just get straight to work. You know, I call mm. my guys, we get it cleaned up. I get them back in shape and I love it. It's it's not boring for me. Like I suppose um, sometimes it's boring when you're having to deal with people that can't necessarily contemplate the the premium exchange or they're just looking for a better price like that's boring because i know that they're doing themselves out of a certain level of transferring risk mm. and, and you know everyone wants the premium saving but no one wants to carry the risk mm. and it's it's an interesting juggle right and it's um it's 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 where things aren't as exciting for me, but where things really get exciting is like what you were talking about before. Um, there's there's risk, 
and there's always a certain level of risk in everything but there's the probability that that risks happen and it's about playing with the probability like there's no doubt that on some things the probability is dramatically increased mm. you know you're talking about life insurance and you know you know it's obvious what factors increase the probability that you're going to need a life insurance you need to make a life insurance claim and there's a lot of things within your control that you can go that you can do to improve that and um and that's what i love i love getting away from the insurance and playing with the probabilities and setting businesses up to create better outcomes the other thing i love about it is i like creating opportunity by creating better outcomes mm. i find that when businesses feel like they've been in control of managing the probability, what tends to happen is, is they go and create opportunity. Um, and it's interesting seeing businesses that can't get insurance because hmm. it's actually a very different, it's, it's not necessarily a problem of margin. It's a problem of not opening or opening, you know, it's a, mm. it's, it's a critical point. Because you can't run a supermarket without having public liability insurance, right? Mm. You, can't, mm. you know, you can't go out and work on someone's home um, and think that, you know, if a loss occurs and there's a major injury or there's, a, you know, that they're just going to pay for it out of their pocket because, you know, that's just the domino effect of problems. Mm. So, so insurance really can create lots of potential for business. Um, and give you lots of protection and allow you to wake up at night knowing that you've got the right processes, you've got the right checklists, you've got the right T's and C's. And if all of those stop gaps fail, you've got insurance. Mm. Mm. Rami, I'm interested in the personal side of what you do. I imagine there must be, <clears throat> even thinking myself about the insurance claims that myself or my family have had to make in the last 10, 15 years, there's a lot of trauma associated with that loss that has triggered the risk and then therefore the conversation with our brokers. Um, that personal aspect isn't something that um, I guess we probably think about when we're sitting in front of an insurance broker and talking about risk and, and loss and how to protect ourselves. Um, given your position and the fact that sometimes it is your bat phone that calls and you're faced with a very traumatic situation, how do you deal with that? How do you separate yourself from what your client is going through to be able to then make and create a solution for them? Um, yeah, I, well, the first thing I do is I look after the client personally. Like, um, you know, I just make sure that they get to see me. Um, I get to see somebody that there's, it's not just, um, a claim form. Um, I like the face-to-face -face contact. My first, um, my first, it was like, I think my first policy that I looked after was, um, a car wash mm. and it was a car wash that backed onto the family home that I used to live in back when I started the business. And, a semi-trailer, it was on the Cumberland Highway and a guy driving a semi-trailer loaded, fell asleep at the wheel, um, drifted over onto the footpath, drove through a set of traffic lights, collected a bunch of cars and carried it through the car wash. Oh, wow. And uh, my sister called me and she said, uh, there's something going on. There's a helicopter landing um, in the 
area and the car wash looks like it's been trashed you better you better get here and um and you know like it's the sort of thing where like these guys were a family family run car wash um kids go with their parents to the car wash before they go to school and these guys get their early traditional wogs you know like um the kids like are finishing their sleep in the back of the car that's just mm. been hit and, and carried like mm. 20 meters so you know it's it's catastrophic um mm. people um and yeah you got to be there you got to be belly to belly you got to you got to work through the problem. You got to reassure them that it's all going to be okay because that their house is on the car wash. Everything's on there, um, and it's the best part of the job, to be honest. Mm. Um, because you confidently know how you've covered something, and no one's no one's cut corners. Like being faced with this problem of somebody wanting a cheaper quote when you ha when you're having to stand in front of that person and say well you didn't take this you didn't take this you don't want to be in that position so i choose not to engage in transactions and and you know accounts that i'm going to be forced to have that conversation because it's too confronting for me because then you always ask yourself could i have done a better job mm -hmm. could i have presented the facts better mm -hmm. could i have um provided some real life examples mm -hmm. could i have you know it's it's a personal responsibility, um, and and some of the new legislation coming out really makes us responsible to ensure that our clients understand the risks and understand it at their level, not yeah. at our level. Yeah, and that's actually the new the new legislation. It's it's not a it's not a best advice duty. Mm -hmm. It's um it's. It's, a, it's almost like a relevant advice duty mm. to communicate at that level with that client so they understood the risk. Mm. And and probably my strength is that, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in Fairfield. Um, I, I, I grew up in, you know, predominantly a non-English speaking area. I went to school like in a pretty rough area. So I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to talk to different, you know, all, di all different walks of life and communicate at that level. Um, so it's a combination, you know, it's being there for the person, being there for the family, um, making sure you extract every bit of sense out of the policy, um, mm -hmm. you know, because you can take, you can take, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about words on a policy is words are subject to interpretation. So, you know, there's extended counseling benefit that you can get for some of these injuries and, um, and I still know that family today and, uh, and I know that they're all doing well and, um, and I know that they, we made sure that they got looked after. Um, it's, uh, yeah. And, um, I've seen a lot of people go through the floods. Um, having a claim is not something you want. Like as much as I can get a policy to protect somebody from a loss, mm -hmm. um, you really, really want to avoid Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's inconvenient. Um, there's a lot of administration. Mm. No one's ever got their books and their paperwork as good as what they think they, they've got it. Um, no. uh, there's a lot of work that goes into preparing claims. And when you really quantify and boil down the loss, it would be interesting for me to run the averages, but there's always 30% that never gets covered. Yep. 
there's always a delay in momentum. There's always a client that they couldn't service that, you know, could have brought in more opportunity. Um, so, so that's why I love focusing on risk management. You know, what can we do to prevent um, and have so many other areas that need to fail before your insurance policy needs to kick in? And, and, and insur- insurers love that approach. Mm. I love seeing clients that uh, have those checks and balances. And make no, make no mistake, like that, w- that approach will save businesses 30 to 50% mm. in, in, um, because they can bear a high deductible, they get better premiums. There's a lot of discretion in premium that insurers deliver to clients. What you've just language, sorry, Warwick, there is the exact reason we have a broker. I think it's one of those conversations we consistently have with tradies full stop is due to their perhaps their lack of trust through their own misunderstanding about what a broker does, they tend to go for box solutions rather than looking into what a broker can provide. From my own lived experience, of my brother lost his house in a fire. He was with a big box insurer the process was woeful and took years and years. There was no one taking care of him. Nobody showed up and talked him through the process or made him comfortable to help him understand what needed to happen. They were totally isolated, had to do it all on their own. It was a dreadful experience. And through that experience, I now understand the true value of a good broker and what they can do for you over and above um, the mitigation of risk. It's also about that relationship that you develop with them and that's where the true understanding of what's required to ensure them, I believe, comes from through that relationship, which is built over time. And that time can be a series of appointments where we learn about the business and we learn to understand what they require. Unfortunately, big box solutions don't offer that opportunity to really understand what the individual needs. Um, so from my experience, I think you've languaged it perfectly. It's the um, relationship that you build that really delivers the results that I think we're all truly after, even those who are looking for the cheap solution. Again, that's just through misunderstanding and a lack of education around what that might look like. I wonder for you, Rami, then, how do you address the the lack of understanding or the lack of trust or the lack of education that comes I think quite frequently when we're talking about insurance and insurance providers. Yeah, it's a great question. It's something I think about all the time in that, you know, we've been trained from a very, very young age that um, the product of insurance is the sort of thing you see on, on TV. Um, it's always about low price. It's always, you know, very much targeted towards premium. Um, you very rarely see the direct insurance market. And that's predominantly what the first contact people have with an insurance product mm. is, is the direct market. Mm. It, it baffles me because in some areas like home contents insurance um, recently, we've lost the ability to sell maybe 30 to 30% of the various different products because the, direct, the, the, so the insurers that used to come through brokers who also directly market um, direct to consumer, they've closed off the the broking channel, the inter, what they call the intermediary channel. Hmm. So I now have far fewer options in the area of home and contents and car. Mm. Now, the stats the stats are out that um, people who buy policies off a broker 
or the, what they call the intermediated advice space. They are far more um, educated and they become far more aware of the pitfalls of insurance. Um, they uh, end up getting better cover when they do seek cover through a broker. And if we take a look at AFCA complaints against insurers, mm -hmm. um, the complaints against brokers are at an all-time low. Mm -hmm. um, if we think about the cost of um, reinstating property, um, they've 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 gone up by thirty to fifty percent in the domestic space. Mm -hmm. um, there are far less claims around underinsurance in the broker space. So why have the these particular insurers cut the channels from you know being sold through brokers and they've gone the direct market? They say they say that some of it is around cost, you know, the fact that they 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 get to save, you know, 10, 15 percent or whatever it might be on commissions. Um, that certainly isn't the case. But they they certainly say that claims through policies administered through brokers mm -hmm. is where they lose most of their money. Now, is that because we're getting them a better outcome? And that's predominantly what it is. Um, claims are quicker with brokers. Mm -hmm. um, there are less uh, under insurance issues. Um, we drive that process. And maybe that when it all boils down at the end to an insurer, it looks like the direct channel is far more economical because I'm not going to say, but uh, people not getting paid as well, people not getting paid as quickly and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think we're trained from a very young age that um, cheap insurance is what you get. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that's where it all, where, where it's all fallen over. Um, it's our job. Um, it's our job to really kind of get out there and, and do more. Our, our, the, the broking side of the business is, is a really old space. It, it needs to be rehashed and it needs to be Uberized, you know, like we need to make it cool. We need to bring a lot more people through, but I think it's happening. There's a lot of insure techs out there at the moment that are, intermediated businesses that are changing the way insurance is done. Um, we need to get better with education. We need to do more stuff like this with you guys. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how uh, I think the model has broken. And that's why people um, end up having bad comments about insurance in general. Mm. Um, mm. They can, they go down that channel, they have a bad experience, they get really bad service. Um, they choose to take, the risk that you know they're going to go the direct channel and not have that face-to-face -face service mm -hmm. hey tradies in business was here sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure i'm joined by coxie of course <laughs> hello you may not know this tradie or tradie wife, or whoever you are listening to this program, but we're business coaches. <laughs> oh my gosh, that feels weird no. to say. <laughs> but we do actually work with people just like you to solve a bunch of problems. And we have this fantastic program called the Tradiepreneur Program, and that's how we do it. And we do it with a wonderful community of trade business owners who are all trying to fix or improve or change things to progress. Things like... Getting behind on quoting, Coxie. Feeling overwhelmed, behind on your invoicing, feeling really stressed or frustrated about the money stuff. Sometimes you can pay the bills, sometimes you can't. What about staff? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh, staff. Trying to get them to do what you want them to do, if you can even find them in the first place. 
Uh, there's so many struggles. And we've seen clients tackle these things in their trade businesses in a quite a short space of time, to be honest, mm-hmm. during the program and recruit staff at a time where everybody was saying you can't get good staff, mm-hmm. improve their quality from their team, collect their debts much more quickly. We How have about sessions. Tips? Yes. Getting tips. Yes. yes. So uh, people rounding up, customers rounding up the invoice by hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. because they're so happy with the sales process and the experience of dealing with the trade business owner and their team. So some amazing stories from our clients. But, you know, as they say in the, in the commercials, don't take it from us. Uh, <laughs> hear what some of our clients have to say. Coming into Christmas, we are not worried about money. We've got enough money in the bank to pay everybody's leave. There's work booked in for the new year. And for the first time in a long time, we'll be having three weeks off and not worrying about the business. That's probably the biggest win of all. Using the cash flow forecasts, I've been able to look into the future and see where I'm going to be situated financially. And it's actually started to have a huge bearing on whether or not I make purchases. By far, one of the best things about working with Nick and Woz are the other businesses that are working alongside them. It is amazing how empowering it is to be working alongside like-minded people who have similar goals, similar troubles. We can all relate to each other and everybody helps everybody out by figuring out problems with you that they may have faced previously. Everybody has solutions and constructive feedback and it's an incredibly friendly, warm, welcoming environment, not threatening at all. From every job, I know that I will get a sustainable wage that's industry leading. I can have at least 10 to 20% profit and I can pay taxes, super, all of that. And I do not have to question whether or not I can because of the way that it's been built. And that is thanks to traders in business and what they've taught me and what I've learned. So there you go. There's some real people. We did not pay them to say those things. (laughs) And I think that sounds a lot better than Coxie and I reading them out. We really would love for you to check out more about how you could take your trade business to where you would like it to be. Surely you have a vision of what things could be like or what you wish they were like on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that is reducing stress or actually making more money. Maybe it's spending more time with the family, taking more holidays, having the choice Mm. that you really wanted when you started your business instead of this beast that seems to be there for many of you listening to this program. So if you want to find out more about how we do this through the Tradiepreneur program, Coxie's going to tell you all about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually not. I'm going to be really secretive and uh, keep all of our magic up our sleeves. What I would like you to do though is head on over to tradiesandbusiness.com.au and you can learn all about us, why we do what we do and how you can work with us, what that actually looks like. There's a whole bunch of free stuff there for you to download, uh, lots of options. We've always got new stuff going up onto the website and a great place for you to learn a whole bunch more about how you can work with us. You can even book a 15-minute chat. For free. For free. That's how abundant we are. So head over to the website, uh, check it out, book a chat with us, and we'd love to find out if you'd be a great fit for the Tradiepreneur community and start hanging out with some of those people that you just heard from. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I love an, an analogy, and I'm I'm uh, trying to think of one, uh, and I'll see if this works. I'm just going to run this up the flagpole and see how this goes. <laughs> it would be to me. It's it would be like going online 
to some sort of, you know, online pharmacy and going, oh, I'm pretty sure that what I've got wrong with me is, you know, this with my knee and this drug looks pretty good um, and it's on special. I'll grab that one because I reckon that'll be the right solution without actually going and talking to your, your doctor or even the pharmacist, for goodness sakes, that's selling the stuff um, and say, hey, is this the right thing for this? Like, mm, I think you should see a doctor, buddy. It, it, you just wouldn't do it. Well, maybe some people do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's, uh, it is. And as you say, Rami, people choose to take on the risk. And I think, unfortunately and sadly, they don't do that um, with enough awareness. They don't, they don't realize how much risk they are taking on. Um, you said before about reducing risk. Uh, and ultimately you would probably prefer that people didn't claim on their insurance policies because of the, you know, the, the impost on them. What are some of the things that trade business owners could do to reduce risk and perhaps, you know, reduce the, the chances that they're likely to claim on any of their policies? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Um, risk, risk management is, uh, uh, you can look at it traditionally and say, um, where am I going to, um, where could I potentially suffer losses from? And what are those losses that could be so severe um, that are going to cost me so much money? And and what are those small losses that I'm willing to bear? Um, certainly getting advice off a broker will help you, help guide you down that, that channel if they're a risk-focused broker. But I think if you're a tradie, uh, the first thing you've got you've to consider is... Um, has has there been any types of losses that have occurred in the day-to-day business that you know could could end up being bad like there's normally signs in a business and normally signs in your trade and stories that you've heard down the grapevine that normally give rise to what what if it happened to me mm. um and then i think if you really wanted to um surprise yourself is you could pick up the policy document that you have and go to the exclusions area, which is typically the back the, the back section and normally in a font type, which is, you know, it's smaller than, than what they promise it up front. And just and you know, and you'll be you'll be surprised. Uh you you you'll be really surprised what 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 the coverage actually is. Mm. Um, that's definitely the most eye-opening part of any policy. And part of what we do here at Ensure is after after we make the recommendations, we normally start with the exclusions and we'll sit down with the business and we'll say, okay, what systems can we build to make sure that you don't land in one of these exclusions? Mm. What checklists, what um, processes, could we structure some exclusions into your terms and conditions so that if something does happen with a customer, We've already disclaimed in it in your T's and C's that these particular areas are are not covered. And that's wow. a really basic. That's a really basic one. Love it. You want to you want to make sure you um, as a tradie uh, you knock out injury injury style claims because um, you know you've got property damage claims and to some extent they can be mitigated through processes. Um, through through methods through you know upskilling but an injury to a third party mm-hmm. or an injury to your staff or an injury to yourself is a, is a game changer and normally it's going to stop the business 
Um, it's really hard in it for tradies to to protect loss of profit. You know, if you're a if you're a shop front, um, it's really easy to do it because business interruption is normally a, a factored in quite easily to damage sustained to your business. But tradies, it's really a non-event. It's it's you know. You suffer an injury, your only form of protection for that is probably income protection, trauma insurance, life insurance. Um, but, you know, you suffer damage to tools, a client's premises, you lose that income. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't you can't insure typically that income. There are some, some things like uh, po- sections of policies called advanced loss of profits, but you really need to be turning over some really big coin to, to be able to pay premium for those types of losses. So you really need to mitigate loss as opposed to insuring against loss. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing as a tradie. Like you can't insure for loss of gross profit, generally speaking. Yeah, right? yeah. So you want to work out what's going to slow me down, what's going to cost me money. Um, eliminate the disputes, right? Because customer disputes, complaints with workmanship, defects getting calls back to a job you've pretty much eroded like if you have to go back to a job a second time or a third time because of one of those issues you can pretty much write that job off right it's costing you money at that point yep so yeah there's a couple things um don't get caught out by cyber um uh, uh, it's a real uh, you know cyber losses uh hacks theft of funds paying the wrong suppliers um uh, obviously, if you're a business that really relies on electronic systems, then you need to really think about cyber. Um, but cyber, I find, is is a real big exposure for the smaller business today. Most tradies tend to have unsophisticated technology systems, basic email, basic basic things, mm-hmm. um, and so highly susceptible to hacks. Highly susceptible to having dormant cookies sitting in PCs following trends and transactions and make no mistake someone will sit in your computer for six months to a year waiting for the perfect opportunity and and that's like it and it's and you might go no not not my system because i don't i don't i'm not lucrative enough (laughs) these 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 guys these hackers they they operate in two ways um there's the people that get paid to sit in your system and collect data and wait for opportunities. And then there's the people that buy that data off the people that are sitting in your PC and they, they make, they make the hack. Mm. So there's, there's multiple levels of, of hacking that is going on at the moment, but we we're getting cyber losses on a very regular basis. Mm. And normally for tradies, it's just about when they're about to make a payment yep. um, and someone just creeps in there, changes the domain name, makes it look like that's coming from the same person. They write, write the same way. And um, yeah, that's a pretty nasty one. Mm, it's a sneaky one. I, I see it happening quite a bit in some of the communities uh, and it's things like, you know, they go, uh, an invoice is meant to be paid and somebody's changed the details on the invoice. So they never the clients paid the money, they never get it. How do you mitigate? Like what's the mm. next step? Unless you have the insurance, that's really challenging. And unfortunately, because I think, I think collectively we tend to put our head in the sand when it comes to risk. It's uncomfortable. Like so many other things that were really clearly identified early on, 
we don't want to look at the hard stuff because it feels boring or it feels uncomfortable or it feels like I don't have enough knowledge to be making the correct decisions. And this is where I guess the right professionals in place to show you that and trusting that I can recall talking about cyber security, maybe two or three years ago and thinking, surely this will get stamped out really quickly. It won't be a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, I was wrong. Um, It's happening so frequently, like you say, and on uh, seemingly small amounts that actually have a large impact on a very small business. A couple of grand, 10 grand, 20 grand can make a really big difference to somebody's life. They're really relying on that. Suddenly they've lost all their profit. Unfortunately, many tradies really live on the edge of that risk. And so therefore that seemingly small loss to a big business is huge for a small business. So I think um, continued availing yourself as a business owner to continued education around these areas is super important for you to be at the front foot. So you're not finding out when it's far, far too late. Yeah. Look, just on that, you know, most, one of the, one of the things I love also about insurance is it's a community product. So when there's a risk that is emerging, um, typically insurers get behind it, develop a product, bring in a lot of premium pool, that premium pool starts to cover the losses of the few. So the premiums of the many covers the losses of the few. In cyber, <clears throat> we've seen a, a retreat of insurers pull back on what they offer, how much covering cover they're offering. And we've seen some insurers actually start to pull out of the market. So all of a sudden, we're like where premiums start to typically come down with an influx of appetite for risk, it's actually the reverse. Insurers are pulling away. Um, which essentially means this is a bit of a losing battle. Mm. The the questions are increasing and changing. Um, so if you say I have virus protection or I have a firewall in my system or I do that, um, that really does make a significant difference to the rating structure and the premium affordability. And in most cases, if you don't have that, you can't get cover. Yep. But in most cases, if you have that, you don't need the cover. Mm. Um and that's the most amazing <laughs> thing about this cover is 80% of the issues are individuals allowing these, you know, foreign bodies into their system by accidentally clicking on a link, just about being cyber aware and having a few good mechanisms in place. Again, risk management leads the way with that particular risk. Mm. I want to ask you, Warwick, Warwick, back when you were in life, because <clears throat> uh, I find it fascinating like when it's cool because in general insurance everybody needs general insurance and i can you know we can we can turn over lots of policies very easily but in life insurance it ain't like that there seems to be as nick said an avoidance to wanting to approach the conversation of risk what do you think that is (laughs) great question Uh, at at the heart of it rami um and nice work on asking the the podcast Love it. a question. <laughs> <laughs> Tables are turned, mate. So I'm sweating, listeners. Um, at the heart of it, I think on the life insurance side of things, it forces people to admit their fallibility and their mortality. Mm. And, and that's not a conversation that I know many people will willingly have or feel comfortable having is talking about their, their death. And the fact that we all die and that many of us get sick and statistically many of us will suffer a major health event in our lifetimes. Um, And I think people struggle to face up to that inescapable fact uh, 
And so they just do what Coxie said, is they go stick their head in the sand because that's way more comfortable. And unfortunately, and I saw a fantastic cartoon of this that's done the rounds many times over the years, is a picture of an ostrich with its head in the sand in the ground. And the only thing left exposed is the ostrich's backside. And you know what happens when that's exposed. <laughs> so, you know, that's what people are doing. They're sticking their head in the sand on this stuff and they're, and they're leaving their bum cheeks in the breeze for someone else to come and take advantage of. So that, that I think, is at the heart of it, Rami. And then there's the whole cost thing. It's like, oh, you know, and nowadays it's worse than ever, you know, particularly in the life space. Um, mm. You know, premiums have have doubled or, or more um, in certain products in certain age categories in the last um, 12 to 24 months. And that's probably going to continue when we see the fallout from some of the interesting stuff happening around um, the way the pandemic has been dealt with and, and some of the, the stuff that's been rolled out. So, you know, the data on that will be years down the track. Um, this is why you never ask me a question on the podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I end up doing more of the talking than normal. Um, but it's that cost thing. And I've got a question to to serve back to you, mate, um, around premiums and premium cost. Uh, I, I feel like people are even more reluctant to um, pay for risk cover but there are some things, and you alluded to this earlier, there are some things that we can do as consumers or, or consumers of insurance products to put downward pressure on our premiums and, and get a better deal that doesn't involve going to the big box insurance reseller or retailer and getting a crappy policy. We can get a good policy with better premiums. What are some of the things that you think people should be paying attention to in terms of setting themselves up to get a better deal? Um, yeah, so well, to, to help people um, contain risk, certainly your legal structures, the way you are set up as a, as a sole trader or as a company, um, you know, do you have your personal assets put in put into a trust? So protecting your personal liability, you want to protect mm. your house, you want to protect, you know, your nest egg. Um, then I think you know, so it's it's really the work of a good of a good lawyer or a legal advisor to start with. Mm -hmm. um, and then it would have to be, um, so once you've, once you've protected your assets, you then want to kind of say, well, what, what are my statutory risks? So my workers' compensation insurance, like what are the minimum necessary requirements from a licensing perspective that I need to cover? Mm -hmm. um, and then you want to kind of take a look at what are some good, I mean, it's always uh, like, some good risk management tools that are really easy to implement in a business. Like at the end of the day, business is primarily about managing processes and managing steps. There are some really cool systems out there. Like a uh, safety culture uh, is a business and they own a business called iAuditor. You get 10 free seats, 10 free users on this system to build checklists that you can access from your phone and for certain types of jobs or certain types of areas of your business, you can basically implement a bit of a process and a checklist that goes into managing risk. Because if you manage process, you manage risk. Mm. Certain types of processes have certain types of steps that go into reducing risk. Um, you can build that out in a form. It can be accessed on a mobile phone. And then what you start to get is you also start to get a lot of data 
about your processes and um, about your jobs. And now if you can illustrate to some extent as a, as a, particularly as a tradie that you've got any sort of degree of that type of risk management in process management, in checklist management, you will make massive headroads on your premiums hmm. and it will become much more affordable. And to be honest, as a business, once you start seeing what you're doing, you will actually start saying, I can take a higher excess because these processes are actually ruling out a lot of exposure for me. Mm. Um, mm. And all of a sudden, you know, you really get ahead of it. And once you start, once you start getting on this bandwagon of um, I'm going to take a look at my process, I'm going to develop a bit of a procedure and I'm just going to automate it and make sure that these are the things I carry out. Um, massive accelerate, massive accelerator on your premium savings over the years. You start mm. to, avoid claims um so there's there's a couple of really easy to implement things free tools free systems but look at your business like a process look at your tasks like a process um and develop checklists and inspection steps and um yeah it's a really good tool i do it for a lot of businesses um myself like i just take a look and go right let's just have a little injury inspection list let's have a look at a um preventative pre-start inspection lists let's you can put your swims on there your safe work safe work method statements that sort of stuff really helps and they're and they're best practice for running a business anyway mm. which you know it makes sense as to why that would reduce premium uh similar in the life insurance space you know in terms of income protection and those sorts of things the the more you can carry a wait period and those sorts of things, um, the lower your premium because insurance companies less likely to be stumping up because you probably recover from the injury and go back to work anyway. Uh, you know, if you've got longer wait periods. So there's, there's ways to, um, uh, you know, I guess build in a level of self-insurance, um, into these things so that insurance paid insurance is kind of the last resort, uh, yeah. in that case. Yeah. The other, the other question um, that I wanted to throw up is around um, claims. And I was feeling a bit sweaty when you were talking earlier about um, most business owners don't have their paperwork and everything in as good an order as they could or should come claim time. You know, it's like, okay, great. Yeah, you want to submit a claim. Now you need to provide us with all of this stuff. And it's like, oh, crap, I wish I'd kept all of those things organized. Um, can you just unpack that one for us a little bit as well, Rami, so listeners can go, oh, geez, here's a tick list of what I need to actually go and sort out in my office? Yeah. Look, it's funny because, like, I look at claims, right, and I look at, and, I, and you know, we work for some really cool businesses that, you know, are in the amusement area. And they have, uh, you know, various checkpoints that are in place. But by the time anything's going to happen, You'd say that if all those processes had been followed, then there's no chance anything would ever happen. And you got to remember, like with with liability claims, for example, liability claims are based on someone proving that you were negligent. Yeah. So it's not a matter of you actually being negligent. It's a matter of you proving that you you met your duty of care. You know, like if you can prove that you checked a floor a couple of times a day for slippery, wet, you know, um, issues, then, and someone says to you, I slipped on your floor and I've, and I've suffered a major injury mm. or negligent. If you can 
prove that you had a process of checking, you disprove the negligence. So you don't have to be perfect. You just have mm. to have good systems that prove that you met your duty of care. Now, you know, on these scenarios where I said, you know, these people have fantastic processes in place. So by the time you'd think nothing would ever happen, it's always on those claims that occur that two or three of those things all failed and they miraculously all failed for that claim. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, we were meant to get a signature, but we were in a rush and we needed to just get them in. Oh yeah. Um, that, that, you know, was that briefing was meant to start, but they came late. Normally we wait for people, but that was a particular person that came late that didn't sign that did this and did that. And then all of a sudden you get this snowball effect. So I go back to, you know, the importance of checklists and procedures and, and following process. It rules mm -hmm. out, it rules out the claim. It, it allows you to disprove that you were negligent. Um, so having a good enough, having a good process that's achievable, that's practical and, and following it is, is going to help you disprove your case against you um, and help you build a better business. Um, yeah. so, and yeah. obviously having it documented and, and retaining those documents in a way that you can access them quickly. Yeah. I yeah. was, I, I was uh, reminded of, uh, so Coxie and I had conference recently and I was on my flight back home and had paid extra ironically to sit in the exit row, which means I'm supposed to help people get out of the plane if it crashes. <laughs> it's like, so I pay for the privilege of helping others to get out. <laughs> anyway, um, that was just my brain doing weird stuff. But I, I was sitting through the briefing that they specifically do when, when you sit in the exit row. And I thought, I was looking at, at the other, um, so what would there have been? There was 12 of us in the overwing exits on either side. And I was looking at the other passengers completely disengaged, paying almost no attention whatsoever to the briefing that's been said thousands of times before. And I'm looking at the red handle on the exit door and thinking, nobody in a mad panic situation, if this thing crashes into the ocean or whatever, no one's going to remember a word this chick said to us. <laughs> and all they're doing is exactly what you're saying, Rami. They're ticking a box so that nobody can sue the airline when their loved one dies because they couldn't get out of the plane. And it's like, we did the briefing. Here it is on the, on the, you know, the pre-flight checklist. We did it. Yeah. So we weren't negligent. And it's like, it, it doesn't have to actually solve the problem. It just has to cover your ass. Yeah. Yeah. How different would it be if they paid you to sit, to, if they paid you to sit in that seat or gave you a discount for sitting in that seat? Yeah. You, you take a lot more care, right? For sure, you'd go. Yep, just oh, oh, you'd be listening a hundred percent, right? It'd just yeah. be completely different. I'd be training in the gym just to prepare for the fifteen kilo hatch door. So it's like heavy. That's not heavy. I'm ready to save the world. <laughs> so different than the cleaning registers you see everywhere. There's always a cleaning register. It's not about making the the users of that space feel comfortable that it's clean. It's just about showing proof of the fact that we have a system yeah. in place. Yeah. Okay. You see it everywhere. It's really clever. And I think you're absolutely right, Rami. We can do this in our businesses really quite simply. Um, I can remember a huge amount of resistance as a builder when we put in sign in, sign out registers or uh, when we put in safety checklists that needed to be completed every day. There was so much resistance. And at the time, we probably don't talk enough about this part of it because it's the ugly side of insurance, I guess. And as a principal contractor, you will carry a, a level of risk 
no matter what. As that principal contractor, it doesn't matter if your subcontractor comes on, um, ignores all the processes, does something wrong, gets injured, you still have a percentage of the risk for that situation. They don't explain that to you. They don't explain that this checklist uh, protects you somewhat or reduces the risk that you're carrying as the principal contractor. And I think because, again, we're talking about injury, we're talking about people dying, we're talking about getting hurt, we're probably not as black and white as we need to be so that people can understand the benefit to them. It's not just a benefit because perhaps somebody won't get injured. It's a benefit because I then won't lose my home or I won't then lose everything else that I have worked so hard to create because somebody has ignored my processes. So I feel like having these conversations, being a little more black and white around how we all feel about it and and the benefit to us can be really important for the outcome. It changes that outcome for so many business owners. And we see a lot of resistance even when we're talking. I certainly, we talk to lots of safety people. I don't necessarily remind people that this is going to help their insurance premium. It's not going to be Mm. as expensive if you put this in place Mm. because it feels like I might be doing something quite awkward and people might think wrongly of me because I'm perhaps forgetting about the fact somebody's not being hurt or somebody's not dying. But in actual fact, this is important to a business owner as well. All of this should be considered. Uh, So it's a big part that, again, of that misinformation or the lack of clarity because it's uncomfortable and we just put our heads in the sand. Yeah, Warwick, I mean, like, like you said, we got a, uh, my question after you mentioned about the, you know, fearing the conversation is at some point, we've got to get over the hurdle, right? We've got to change the trend. We've got to get to this side of the fence where I want to know my risks and I want to know what I can do to mitigate them. And I don't want to have my head in the sand and wait for a surprise. There seems to be this thing about humans that uh, we almost want a surprise. We almost get, you know, it's almost like that we like surprises because they have some sort of an aspect of thrill to them. But, um, you know, you don't want to be doing that with your business and with your with your risks and with your you person your personal exposure. Um, you know, the idea of a principal contractor, Nick, is um, that people don't or the law doesn't want to have to go and chase all the parties. They want one person that's responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about that and you think about the, the liability of a principal contractor and the various different subcontractors and their various licenses and all of their other exposures, you really you really have to start taking ownership mm-hmm. for all the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's no room anymore to be to have your head in the sand. There's way too much going on in the building space and the building regulations to to you want to kind of understand your landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has massive improvements for your confidence, yes. for your peace of mind, for how you sleep at night, mm-hmm. um, and that is going to actually um, energetically bring business through your door. Absolutely. And I I think for anybody listening to this who thinks that one day they might sell their business, um, it needs to be considered as a business for you to sell it. And these systems, checklists, um, risk mitigation processes, et cetera, are all part of a good business. It makes it more saleable and it means you'll get a better price when you come time to sell if if that's on your radar. And if it's not... As Rami has rightly pointed out, you know, it just helps you sleep at night. So, um, 
Rami, I'm going to hit you with uh, a question that uh, Nick loves, the fact that I've been asking guests this question <laughs> since the podcast started many, many years ago now. Uh, if you had a thousand trade business owners in a room, what's one piece of advice you would leave them with other than don't drop your AirPods in your coffee? <laughs> wow. Um you know, the question I, I really like to ask people is what keeps you up at night? And there's something that keeps people up at night and everybody, it could be different um, and it could be changing. But the advice I would give you is um, there's a solution that can be crafted. Um, and I And one of the things I love about doing what I do is we get a lot of really unique ideas come through the door. And that many of them um, come to us and they're typically uninsurable um, to a certain extent. And then we sit down with them and it could be restructuring. It could be establishing a separate entity. Um, it could be going from a higher business to a, a leasing business. And all of a sudden it's, it's, it, it can be done. There's a market. So whatever's keeping you up at night, Ask yourself the question and take ownership um, and find a solution for it because whether it be T's and C's, whether it be legal structuring, it, you will feel better um, having known that um, you've crafted the solution and now you can, you know, think optimistically. It's um, getting on that. It, it, it helps. Um, so, yeah, think about what keeps you up at night. Sit down with your broker. Say, this risk is concerning me. What is my level of protection for this risk? How do I improve my level of protection for this risk? Um, and 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 work on reducing or improving the probabilities of things happening, and that will in, improve your premiums. And uh, and yeah, that's probably the advice I'd give. Good advice. Yeah, thank you. Nice, Rami. Uh, now, if listeners are sitting here listening to this, or uh, you know whatever you're doing, listening to this episode, and they're, they're thinking okay, uh, I probably need to do something about this because I'm a little bit exposed. I've got my head in the sand and my bum's in the breeze. Um, how do people find out more about you, Rami? Oh, great. So, um, look, we service business um, anywhere and everywhere um, these days, but uh, Ensure is spelt N-S-U-R-E. Um, my name is Rami. We have a team of about um, eight advisors. We have a significantly sized back office team. If you get in touch with us via our website um, or via Facebook, Instagram, um, our phone number, one three triple O six seven eight seven three, um, we'll send you a really brief questionnaire which helps us understand what your appetite for risk is and we'll ask you some really unique questions that you don't typically get asked um and then it's going to help us really kind of gauge who you are and, mm. and um and yeah we'd love to help and you know if it's just a conversation or if we can map out your risk landscape um policies insurance policies are the last thing we're going to end up talking about and mm. uh, that's a, that's that's you'll find that refreshing Nice. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from yeah businesses that we can help. Awesome, Rami. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was really insightful and a very different look at insurance and risk and what that can mean for each of us as business owners and as leaders of our family too. I think it's really important to understand the impact and we've had a bit of an insight to that today. Thank you.
No, thank you. I really do. Thanks, Rami. Um, yeah, I love I love talking about what I do. So thanks. <laughs> awesome. You've been listening to the Tradies and Business Podcast with Warwick Bidwell and Nicole Cox. Find out more about today's guest, tools for your trade business and other cool stuff at tradiesandbusiness.com.au.